On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 Euro in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. More chances, more prizes, more reason to enter. Konnichiwa, you're very welcome to the Left Wing Rugby World Cup, almost daily. Uh, Rory O'Connor here, joined by Jonathan Bradley in the centre of Tokyo. Eve of World Cup final, um, third place playoff to come this evening. We probably won't touch on that too much because most of you have probably have watched it or heard about it or bought, not, not bothered, um, whatever you, fa- you fancy. I am going to go to it just to see the All Blacks one last time. Um, they don't play again for another nearly another year. So, um, Jonathan, one of... Like, I. I my first World Cup final was one four years ago. Um, it is one of the highlights of the th- things that I've covered over the years. Probably the highlight, even though you know, largely covering Ireland and, and they weren't there. But watching New Zealand and Australia was pretty incredible. How much are you looking forward to just the experience of being at a World Cup final? Is it, will this be your first one? It will be my first one. Yeah, um, buzzing like um, being to a few European finals. Obviously, even just the last few years, like. Um, Six Nations Grand Slam games and twerking them and stuff, but this will be another level. I think um, really, really can't wait. And I think, especially just off the back of what we saw from England in the semi-final, I think that probably adds the excitement of it. Yeah. Um, just if they can hit that level of performance again, it's obviously going to be a huge ask. But then I think we have a spectacle to go along with the occasion too. So yeah, can't wait. Yeah, you got. I mean, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be this way. But you do take these things for granted sometimes when you're at a World Cup and you're you're working every day and you're kind of just basically get used to being in Tokyo and you kind of get you know but I remember four years ago going Jesus this like this is it this is the biggest game in the in the sport and you're, and you're here and you're you, like generally got good tickets you know you're mm. like the, you're I mean Twickenham we're a bit further away in Yokohama you're like you're fairly far back but it's still you know right in, right in the center it's um one of the you know it's one of those moments where you're going Jesus like I'm pretty lucky to be here um how are you feeling about the game at this stage I mean we talked a bit about it the other day um both teams have been named. One change, Shazen Colby's back, and that's a good thing for everyone watching back home. Um, unless you're English, I think he's he gives South Africa a bit more than what they had against Wales last weekend. Um, I mean, the big question is whether England can get back up to the level that they were last week, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I was talking to Stefan Triplanche today, former Springbok, just for a feature for tomorrow's paper, and asking him about the mood in South Africa and how they're feeling back at home, what he's picking up. And he's saying that essentially the people's cause for optimism is the fact that England can't play like that twice in a row. And I understand that because I think if you look at this South Africa team and this England team, and I wrote a, I sort of touched on this in a piece I did for the paper today, um, they both had to rebuild post-2015, but 
England probably started theirs a little bit earlier. Yeah. If you look at what Eddie Jones talked about um, recently, whenever he was talking about having to build towards the World Cup and um, to judge him on the World Cup, he said that the first thing they had to sort was their conditioning. Second thing they had to sort was their defense and their set piece. And then the third thing that they he says they finally brought in during the Six Nations was their attacking play. And if you compare that to South Africa, who really had Razi Erasmus coming in the end of 2017, but it was 2018 before he actually got into a game. It looks like he's fixed their conditioning. looks like he's fixed their defense and their set piece. But the one thing that they haven't been able to add yet is the attack. So in a sense, I'm looking at this game in terms of England probably being a year ahead of where yeah. South Africa are in terms of what they're trying to do. And that's why I think you have to give them the edge because just they can do so much more in attack um, on top of being having that solidity and that forward base play that South Africa can pull off. I think South Africa have more to their attack than they've shown in the, in the quarterfinal and semifinal. And maybe, maybe I'm clutching at straws because, I mean, you should probably go off the evidence that you've seen. But I keep going back to like, the games against New Zealand. The one I was at at the start of the tournament, they didn't take their chances, but they created chances against New Zealand in the rugby championship, which I know is a different stage and, you know, they're different games and different conditions. But they're generally quite good to watch in those games, especially when they play New Zealand. And we were, Justin Marshall was doing a, a gig earlier in the week. We, we got a chance to speak to him. And he was saying, like, I just wish they'd play like the way they play against New Zealand all the time. And I think they know that to beat England, they can't just box kick. So I was kind of expecting a bit more change in their team. I thought they might front load their bench a little bit. They might bring Snayman in. I thought Snayman was the man to go after Atoje, who's bizarrely not nominated for World Player of the Year. I just couldn't believe that. That list of players is really unusual. Um, so I think. Like if you look at England's Six Nations, they brought that unbelievable ferocity to Dublin. They didn't back that up. You know, they weren't able to get to that level again. It like I think the first time they got back close to that level was last Saturday. It's gonna be very difficult, but I think they can probably beat South Africa just below that level. I I'd be a bit concerned about Farrell as well. Like, you know, he played on one leg last week, he's only had a week to recover. I think maybe that's the reason Ford is there as well, because they might not be able to get him goal kicking throughout. So I think there is a little bit of room for doubt with England. But then you're kind of assuming South Africa are going to produce their big performance and their form hasn't been particularly good. So it's it's a really interesting one. But the one thing is that they will match England for physicality. Yeah, and I think it's pretty interesting dynamic that you touch on there because definitely throughout this tournament, I think I've been guilty of just too much recency bias, like going off what we saw the week before or even a couple of weeks before where I suppose in a more overarching way, the tournament has pretty much gone to form that we would have predicted maybe in you know June or July, August mm. time. But I do think that even if England are at a level below what they were at last week, that they can still have too much for the Springboks. I think, and I'm interested to know what you think about their style, because you, know, you talk about them having more. For you, how would you view a Springboks winning this World Cup play in the way that they have? Because... <laughs> I think it's bad. It's, it's not good for the game. I mean, you can overthink these things. I mean, they're playing rugby within the rules, and it's effective. It's not even, it's not even that effective. I mean, they, they've uh, you know they only scraped past the Wales team. They should have been beaten by more, in my opinion. Um, generally, the game takes its trend, is its cues from the World Cup, and if the World Cup winners are a box kicking, you know, really really cautious team built on a forward pack. It could set you know you're, you're almost back in 2007 all over again and like the 2007 World Cup was a, was a terrible tournament um, 
you know, won by a team that was very effective but not very pretty to watch. And the f- following two years after it were like two of the most brutal years in rugby, culminating in that second test in Pretoria, mm-hmm. which I was at, which was probably the most brutal game. I think this this could match it, but that, like I always go back to that game as just the most physically outrageous game we've ever seen. Um, and you can see the way these like these are the two most powerful teams in the world. I think we're going to see in response to England's ability to win collisions and, and the dominant tackles, it just doing a piece for tomorrow about Ireland um, and watch Joe Schmidt's interview in the immediate aftermath of the England game where Ireland's decline kind of started and snowballed from and he, he, was, he, he constantly went back to physicality, dominant collisions. If the two most physically dominant, most physically powerful teams win, the, you know, get to the World Cup final and the one that plays less, less rugby wins, the game, you know, rugby could be going in a very interesting direction. Uh, not very interesting to watch probably a little bit worrying because in the last couple of years everyone's taking their cues from the All Blacks and we've seen kind of full court games the way Japan played you'd much rather see pe- teams take the cue off what, what Japan did at this World Cup rather than what South Africa did mm. but in the end South Africa beat Japan with one of the most glorious lineup malls we've ever seen um, and there's a, there is a place in the game for that but it will reward England and South Africa more than anyone else. And I think it, what England do is they can do the, f- the physical stuff, they can do the mall stuff, they can win the breakdown, they can probably beat South Africa at their own game, but they've also got Watson and May out wide. They've got Tuolagi, who's able to do everything. They've got Ford and Farrell playing the game in a, in a really nice attacking shape in the kind of Saracen style. Um, they've got forwards who can pass the ball. Kyle Sinclair, another player who might not be fit, um, but who can throw 20-metre passes off his left. You know, they've got skill... They're a much more likable team than South Africa, I think. And I don't like, you know, that's, you know, I, there's part of me who wants to see Razzie Rasmus win this because I enjoyed dealing with him when he was in Munster. Um, and Jock Nienabar is, as well, one of the most interesting people I've ever interviewed. But I don't think South Africa are necessarily even playing to their strengths because I think they have the ball carriers to beat most. I thought they could have run over Wales, but they were conserving energy. So that's a long winded way of saying that England, an England win will be better for the game of rugby. But I do think the power, the, the response to this power game from everyone else is going to be very interesting to see. I mean, the All Blacks might be looking at why didn't pick Fafita and Shannon Frizzell, probably the bigger uh, players, albeit England are playing with two sevens. You know, that, these are the things that you know we'll, we'll see come out in Europe in the next couple of weeks into the Six Nations. The response to it, all the things that are coming after this. But we should probably focus back in on the on the, this final because it is <laughs> it, it's fascinating in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um you know, we've talked about it there, just um, the matchup in attacking styles is fascinating. Um, for me, if you look at the way England are set up, you mentioned it there probably with um, a look towards Owen Farrell maybe carrying an injury, but the fact that they've gone again with the Farrell-Ford axis is hugely interesting for me, I think, because it's basically... You know, coming into this tournament, it was seen as the uh, sort of tactical innovation that was going to lead New Zealand to uh, to a third World Cup. It'll be fascinating to see whether they stick with it now, moving forward, having not worked for them. But for me, I think this is probably England's best bet for this game. I don't know if it's something that we're going to see in the future. It's hard to know. Well, I mean, the two of them know each other so well. They went to school together and they have this really good relationship that there's footage of them scoring tries for the school. I'm not sure what the school is called, but the school they played for in England. Um, Harpenden, is it? I think, yeah, that sounds about right. And they, there's um, there's footage of them linking well together back then in this really clever attacking shape that they have. So there's like a symbiotic relationship, I think, that, that they grew up together, they know each other, they were under 20s at the same time. They've always been trying to f- either competing for a spot or, or fitting in together. So there's a really good relationship there. 
I was interested. Um, Luke was speaking on the the left wing um, the other day, saying it was it's a massive mistake that you know even though it's very hard to change a winning team, picking Slade and moving to Alagi in one against the box is got would have been the better play. And I presume he's you know looking at Diolande coming down the ten twelve channel. Um, because Diolande, for all that he's not the most creative centre out there, he's an absolute athlete. Like, and he's, mm-hmm. he he is very very effective. George Ford has defended well though. Like he's, he's been made criticised his tackles. He's made it in the past. Yes, yeah, sorry, but he's um, something that he has been criticised for. But he's stood up to be kind to him when he has had to make his tackles. He like. makes his tackles. It, they're not dominant. They're like they're, I mean, I suppose if, if fourteen other players are making dominant collisions on the pitch, you can probably have one guy who's who's soaking a little bit. And in fairness, I, I'd much rather see a, a team pick Ford and Farrell and play the way they played, and than you know send the lump up the middle. You know, that's the way I'd rather see the game played. It's the way I'd, I'd love to see Ireland evolve beyond what they were doing. Anyway, we can't stop. We need to stop going back to Ireland. <laughs> We've got a whole season. I think they just announced the the Ju- July tour games against Australia. Like we've got a another. Nine ten months of the season to come, so let's let's move, let's let's get away from them. Um, I mean the pack battle, like I, I as I say, I'm amazed that the Toje is not on the shortlist for World Player of the Year. There's only one, like it looks like a political thing where they've only picked one English player, and there's an American um, player there as well, and um, no Japanese, no Japanese player. Yeah. Like that's bizarre. Like they, you know, they, they were the story of the World Cup for so long, and they didn't, you know, they merited. It. I'm not sure which of them. Maybe Michael Leach, um, perhaps the hooker. I'm not sure, but like mm. I think. Like if you're going to be political, go for that, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, but I think Atoje had to be. I think Curry is deserved. Owen Farrell could be a shout as well. I even find it very hard to split Curry and Underhill. Curry, I suppose, had the better Six Nations because yeah. Underhill missed that with injury because yeah. he got injured playing for Bath. But um, I'm fascinated to see how Atoje goes against the box because he was, to me, one of the great, great second row performances last weekend, and he just does so much. And I know we rave about James Ryan, but Atoje is the standout lock at this tournament and the standout lock in the world right now. But he's up against four and maybe even five of the best second rows in the world uh, tomorrow. Because Peter Steff in any other country would probably, like if, if he was Irish, he'd be, he'd be lock his whole career. So you've got like, now Etzbet's not in great form. Ludiaga's good, but he's there to wind them down. It's when they bring on Steyman and Mostert to work in tandem with Peter Steff, it's it's a pretty ferocious uh, ferocious combination. And while Latoja is brilliant, I'm not like Laws is decent and Cruz is, is a good operator as well. I think Latoja's got a lot of, lot of work on his hands in this in this game. I think it's a huge huge thing when you can look over, say the 50 minute mark, and they're bringing on a player as good as Snowman because and just such an agitator as well. Oh yeah. And then you know you talk about even somebody like Dwayne Vermeulen. You know Billy Vinopolo was talking during the week about how he's got the better of him in recent games and how that's something that he has to has to redress. You might touched on it earlier, like, but this is a pack that can go toe-to-toe with England's pack, and it's just whether they can do something on top of that, something a little bit more special. I guess that's what they've got uh, Colby in there for. Yeah, well, Colby's there, but they've got to get the ball to him. And uh, Pollard's been good at this World Cup, but he, like they're playing uh, they're playing very within themselves himself and Faf de Klerk, and I think... Like Faf de Klerk played for the Lions team that got to the Super Rugby fi- final two years in a row and played play, playing unbelievably good rugby. Pollard is a blue bull. He's, he's you know they play very old fashioned South African way. He's kind of the natural heir to Mornay Stein, but he's got more to his game if you if he if they can just get him moving. And although the Landes direct Am has a has a has a good uh, bit of skill to him, and then they've got a. The wingers are brilliant. Like Vidi Roos had a weird, tur- weird tournament, but he's still got threat. Like he was the one who put the pass out to Dale Andy. 
to score that try the last day. So yeah, they've like got I talent. I read a piece uh, this morning just in South Africa talking about how Willie Lurie's probably had a mischaracterized tournament because people are focusing in on, uh, I suppose, the drops and uh, the um, missed, missed tackles and stuff. Yeah. But just talking about his importance in the overall setup and that there was no surprise there, certainly, that they'd... Um, Stuck with him. St- stuck with him. So it's been an interesting one to watch because, like, um, I think o- over the three or four games that he's played, I, he doesn't look like he's in any sort of form to me at all. But I think, you know, yeah, you talk about uh, Colby and Pimpi, and it's a case of, I think, getting them, getting the ball in their hands in good positions rather than getting the ball to them when they're in... Um, boxed in and basically trying to ask them to do something special because that to me has looked what they've been doing far too often with those players yeah and like the All Blacks game it was, I think when they did get Colby released it was mostly off All Blacks kicks themselves it was more countering off that and also their own kind of you know being able to reclaim their own ball I mean they don't really seem to be able to get the ball wide through their hands they don't seem to want it um, maybe that's something they can do if they start winning collisions on Saturday but that's going to be a hard thing to do as well I tipped England to start a tournament. I, I think I've tipped, you know, I, 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 my confidence in them has kind of receded. Although the, I've been really impressed by them over the course of the week. I've spent a bit of time in their, you know, at their media. I thought Eddie Jones was really interesting yesterday. I love the way he just, if he doesn't want to talk about a topic, it's a one-word answer. If he does, mm-hmm. he'll give you something, you know. Um, he's completely in control of everything that happens in that room. You know, he does, he, he does loads of media. I couldn't believe... He does this top table press conference, 10, 15 minutes, comes out and does 20 minutes with the, with the daily newspapers for the next day and for Saturday. Then he goes off and does um, about six different TV interviews. I mean, compared to what Ireland do like, at, this, did at this tournament, there's just so much more media. They're trying to spread their gospel. They're trying to get their message out there. It's, it's pretty impressive stuff. And the players are calm. I mean, Farrell is, is just a stubborn man. He just won't talk about anything, which is you know, impressive in itself. He just doesn't want to engage. Um, Some of the I've most interesting quotes I thought were Jamie George on Farrell. It's yeah. one of those where it's, I think somebody else talking about him is far more interesting than him yeah. talking about himself. He's, he's obviously got so much, hasn't he? I mean, he's, he's a compelling character. He's, he seems to be, he looks more and more like his father. Mm. Uh, every time I look at him, he's, he's kind of lost that boyishness that he had a couple of years ago and he's just developing it. Just put a beard on him, he's Andy. And uh, like, there's obviously, like we, I think everyone's probably seen the Lions videos where Andy's given those speeches and we're starting to see like the, those Rising Sun videos that England do are so clever, um, really well done and like there's good access in them as well. So you're seeing like Farrell's address to the, to the troops and it's, I mean, he's not saying a whole lot, but the message is all positivity. It's all uh, work rate. It's all, it's impressive stuff. Now, that's them telling their own story. You're not, you know, probably, you know, that's probably when the cameras go down, there might be something different happening. But so I've been impressed by them. They're obviously the, the most impressive team at this tournament so far. And yet, and while I think they are going to win, my confidence in that prediction has been just sapped away day by day by this little nagging feeling that the box were going to bring something different and be able to match them physically and that England won't get there. What do you think? Do you think England will win this World Cup? I think they will. Um, you mentioned tipping them earlier uh, before the tournament started. I did as well, and I need that to come off for my prediction to this tournament to have any redeeming value <laughs> here. So. Well, I, like, I lost faith in them before the All Blacks game, so I can't really... like yeah, you, I should have really stuck with them the whole way through. Yeah. Um, um, but they've been better. Like I, I mean, they've been better than I thought they were even then when I thought they might get through because I thought the route was probably favourable. They've actually ended up, if they win it, they've beaten all four Ruby Championship teams. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's some run to, uh, run to the final... And I think as well, if they can do it, having put in the most impressive performance, which 
will likely be, no matter what they do tomorrow, I think what they did last week is going to be the most impressive performance. Then I think they will be remembered positively as a World Cup team. You talk about 2007 and that tournament not being yeah. remembered overly positively. I'm not sure how people will look at the overall legacy of this tournament. Like, I don't think there's been... I saw some people being very, very positive about it. For me, it hasn't had a wealth of great games. Maybe that's one. Uh, maybe that's one to discuss later. But if you know, if you take Japan's run out of it, I don't think um, it's been brilliant. But I think that England yeah. playing the way that they have, if they go on to win, I think that will be the redeeming feature, as it were. The Rugby World Cup's fundamentally flawed. There's too many teams. There's either too many teams or too few teams. But like, it's not an elite tournament. There's a lot of bad teams, and that's good for the growth of the game. And I mean, like Uruguay beating Fiji was a great story. Um, at the start of the tournament it was one of a few I mean like those one side of games just ebb away at your enthusiasm and it goes on way too long and I'm, just, and I'm not just saying that because I've been in Japan for seven weeks I've thoroughly enjoyed it but I get a sense from, from back home that people are like is, this, is that like particularly not like the rugby fans are always going to enjoy it because it's you know rugby every day pretty much for about four weeks and then every weekend you've got high quality games Um but for the casual fan, they're like, Jesus, that thing, like, how long have they been out there, you know? Yeah, the, the, like, Rory McIlroy told Tiger Woods it was three months long the other day, and, and yeah. while that was highly inaccurate, it does feel like it. I think the part of it as well is, obviously, we're covering it from an Ireland perspective, and I've grown up with it from an Ireland perspective, where... It ends at the quarterfinals. It ends at the quarterfinals, <laughs> and then it goes on for another two weeks, and it becomes this weekend tournament as well. Yeah. So I think the day-to-day momentum of it gets so lost um, once you hit this stage of it. And coupled with the fact that from our perspective that Ireland have gone out of it. And then I think that's maybe part of that where it gets to the weekend, the games come around, and that's when the casual fans are like, hold on, is this still going on? Yeah. They, they want it, I think ideally they'd want a 24 team tournament because they can't cut it to 16 and lose that global sense. But they don't have four teams that are good enough, and you just end up with even worse. They don't have 20 uh, teams that are good enough. They don't have 20 teams. But like, I mean, 16, but like, I don't think anyone's going to call for. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what what has to happen. But when cricket did that, they got absolutely cane. And in fairness, we do want the game to grow. But speaking to people from the tier two nations, it sounds like the gap is only going to get bigger in the next four years. Because what, for all that world rugby do provide support, the professional game is just moving beyond them. And like, there's a broader debate about whether the World Cup is going to survive in the kind of CVC world that's coming down down the track. And we're probably going too broad on that. But I think there's been good games. I'll certainly remember it as an experience. I don't think it's I, yeah I'd agree with you like, I just think it just goes on too long experience like, is the right word like when I think about this World Cup I will obviously remember it being the first one that I've covered like wire to wire and it being in Japan but like the games that I remember and the atmospheres that I remember and we're so Irish focused as well like, yeah. I mean, we do like for that four weeks when Ireland were here we were living it every day so I mean I didn't see a lot of the USA at this tournament I didn't get to watch a lot of games because it was actually pretty hard either what you were working or it was just like it's actually quite hard to find places to watch yeah. games in Japan. Um, I think people who are here will probably remember it fondly because I think it has been an unbelievable experience. And I do think it was a right, it was a good decision to take it here. They probably should have had it at a different time of year, so they didn't mm-hmm. have typhoons to cancel games. I still think that is a stain on the tournament. Um, For yeah. me, it's just like you know, thinking thinking like, about if I was watching it at home, how would I have viewed this tournament as a whole? And like, I don't think you know, Ireland didn't play good rugby the All Blacks had two good games but, but then the All Blacks basically disappeared for a month yeah <laughs> you know they, they won their first game which was like they front loaded that weekend and that was good but it actually probably deprived the pools of, of a lot of good games like Japan beating Ireland was an amazing moment and that probably probably Irish people don't share that emotion but like that was an incredible moment for the tournament 
Australia Wales was at that. That was a really good game. But you're talking about five, six, and Japan Scotland. In fairness, was one of the great World Cup games. Um, the quarterfinals delivered one and a half good games. Australia, England, and France and um, France and Wales. You know, bit of drama. That was a good game. No, your Australia, fa- your Australia done. England was a wee bit. First half, was, that's what I said. First yeah. half was good, and then England. It was a good England performance. Then England's win over New Zealand was a good, yeah, like not a great tournament. I don't think it will go down as one of the all-time greats, although the setting and the vibrancy of the Japanese people and all that stuff has been great. Um, you picked your team in tournament in today's Belfast Telegraph. Uh, yep. I'm doing mine on Monday. I need to give it a lot of thought because I'll just admit it to the fact that I didn't see half the game. So <laughs> <laughs> I might have to canvas a bit of opinion. Um, like, I think, like, I don't know, did you focus in on the knock- the knockouts and the teams that are still here or did you did you broaden it a little bit more? Did um, you go for any hipster choices, a bit of Uruguay or anything like that? I didn't go for any Uruguay. I was tempted by, they, a, few, they, tempted they, by a few Russians, but I couldn't, uh, couldn't work them in there. The Russian tight end was a good player. Yeah, so I think... If it had been based on the pool stages and the quarterfinals, I think I probably would have went with him. But yeah. in the end, Sink- Sinclair. Sinclair right, start, at, start at 15, tell us. Uh, Barrett, uh, Machishima, um, 13, I had Tulagi. Just I really wanted to have Lafayette in, just on the basis of his offloads alone. But yeah, it's a tough one. Um, went for Tulagi in the end. Um, 12, Diolande. Um, on the other wing, I had Rudranda, which I'm not focused on the knockouts, but I think he was so good in the. His numbers were unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four to ten. Nine, I had to clerk. Jimeno at eight. Peter Steff at six. Underhill, seven. Itoji and Alan Jones in the second row. And then Inagaki. Shota Hori and Singler in the front row, so pretty pretty Japan heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they like they were the story of the tournament, and their players were like, I mean, they played above themselves so much. And um, yeah, the nominations for the World Player of the Year are out, and I have them here somewhere on my phone if I can just unlock it. So Joe Terofete, did you see much of the USA? Like, did, is that a st- no? I would have. I normally do try and watch the USA purely because just having such a huge interest in US sports, but I didn't see them at this tournament because... I saw them against England. Sorry, I saw the England game, but sort of like you said, I find it very hard sometimes to see games that weren't the big games because they didn't seem to be shown on TV unless they were... Basically, unless they involved one of the um, heavyweights, as it were. So those were some of the games that I find it really difficult to find. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think whenever I looked at that list, my first thought was, "Where's Atoje?" Yeah, and then so it was. A, I'll read the rest of it. It's Alan Wynn who, who made your team in the tournament. Cheslin Golby who didn't. Uh, in fairness, he was unbelievable for Toulouse as well as South Africa in the rugby championship. He's been injured since the first game, but he was like mm-hmm. outstanding that day. So, so there's two boxing team actually because Peter Steff is there as well. Artie Savea, hard to argue, he was very good, and Tom Curry who has been excellent. But I think. I just can't believe it. Told you it's not there. Like he's he to me, he's the world player of the year already. And if he goes on and wins the man in a match award in the semi final, the final, I don't like. I don't know how they stand over that. Especially when you look at what he did in uh, with Saracens as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's brilliant. Um, the fact there's no Saracens player on there, like it just it's, they've often been bizarre these these world rugby awards, and, and this this is one one of the the worst ones yet. So um, I suppose the only problem maybe with the Japanese is that you're going solely off. The World Cup, because 
they didn't play any. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, like, I, think, like, I think it has to be World Cup focus. It's amazing just looking through all the nominees, and I wasn't expecting any, but to go from winning the World Player of the Year, World Coach of the Year, World Team of the Year, and getting second or certainly a nominee for Rising Star or Emerging Star Award last year to have no Irish representation anywhere is just a, an indictment of how far the, they've fallen over the course of the last year. But that's the last mention of Ireland. We're going to wrap it up because we've gone way over what I expected to do. That's a probably a good sign. Um, one more game, to, well, two more games. We didn't touch on the third place playoff because that doesn't matter. Um, you know, I hopefully enjoy watching it, but you know, yeah, the, uh, as Warren Gatlin said, settle with the boot race or a drinking game. Yeah, well, that'll <laughs> be that'll be entertaining. And um, a lot of the All Blacks are staying in my hotel with their wives, so I might, I might see that later in the hotel bar. You'll never know. I'll let you know. I'll report back on Sunday or, or Saturday. Um, one more match, one more podcast, Jonathan. We're we're almost yeah, there. Yeah, this the is finish our penultimate podcast. It is. It is. Um, don't know. You know, are we flagging? I don't know. The listeners can tell us, but uh, we'll be back after the match on Saturday maybe Sunday but probably Saturday because we've both got presents to buy and last couple <laughs> of things to see and articles to write Ram and, um, and also yeah we're, we're not allowed to record in the st- in, in stadium <laughs> but our accreditation doesn't matter anymore so we might be able to get away with it um, thanks for com- coming into the centre Tokyo Jonathan because you need to get back out to Yokohama to the sticks before the last train um, thanks for listening and we will talk to you after either England or South Africa have been crowned world champions for 2019 cheers the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 Euro in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.